Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with all of you this morning. Here we are. Uh, it is Sunday, and it is Mother's Day, right? I mean, Mother's Day is awesome because we get to celebrate our moms and uh, celebrate the mothers in our lives. And certainly our moms need to be and ought to be and deserve to be celebrated. So it seems simple enough, doesn't it? It's Mother's Day. Let's celebrate our moms. The, the trouble is that unfortunately it is everything but simple. It is everything but simple, Mother's Day. Because as soon as we step into the space where we say we're going to celebrate our moms, we inadvertently step into a space where we also create a lot of space for pain and struggle for a number of people. That's why it gets complicated. Because it seems simple, but walking into the spaces of celebration on a day like this, there are many who also walk in with a lot of hurt and pain revolving around this issue of mothers, right? Uh, there's a number of different uh, pictures of that. Some people walk in here, uh, walk into Mother's Day, and they dread this holiday. They dread this celebration because uh, they long to step into motherhood, but for one circumstance or another, they cannot uh, yet or they cannot ever in the way that they would have liked to. And so this is a day full of difficulty and struggle and pain for them. Others walk into this day and their experience with their mother was not an easy one. It was very challenging, very difficult and very hurtful. And we walk into a day like this where we think the simplicity of just celebrating mothers on Mother's Day is there and we realize, boy, that can be very painful for those people that don't know how to celebrate that because it wasn't a good experience. We've got people that are walking in here that have lost on Mother's Day, lost moms, and this is a difficult day for them. And we've got people here that stepped into motherhood and experienced great loss after that. This is a very difficult day for them. See, this is not an easy day. It's complicated because as soon as we celebrate one thing, we create the space for pain in those who do not fit into those categories. This has become a dilemma in our cultural context in all sorts of areas now. It's not just Mother's Day that is difficult. It's everything that's difficult now because anytime you celebrate anything, you run into this same dilemma. We uh, remember the days when we would wake up and there would be Christmas and Easter and Father's Day and Mother's Day and a few presidents sprinkled in between, right? Those days are long gone. There is a day for everything now and a day for everyone now. There has to be because we are trying to enter into the space where we go, oh my, who needs to be celebrated because everyone deserves to and certainly we do. So we start thinking about it. If we're going to celebrate moms and dads, then surely we should celebrate nurses and teachers because they're like moms and dads just in harder spaces, right? And so we celebrate the nurses and we celebrate the teachers. And then once we do that, we say, well, if we're going to celebrate nurses and teachers and they're well-deserved, then we should celebrate executive assistants because they work with bosses and that's really hard. So we have a day for executive assistants. And EMTs, that's important because they're important and valuable. And police officers, we have a day for that as well. And then, of course, you've got... If you're going to celebrate the nurses and you're going to celebrate the teachers, you should celebrate the principals and you should celebrate the doctors. So we have a day for principals and a day for doctors. And the executive assistant does work for a boss who can sometimes be tired, and so we should celebrate the bosses. And so we celebrate the bosses, and so we go. 
We celebrate more and more and more and more and more people because we must. And if we're going to celebrate all these people, what about the accountants and the attorneys? I mean, they don't drive in ambulances and come run to our door when they're bad guys, but they matter, don't they? Surely. So we should celebrate them. This dilemma that we have found ourselves in, this huge complication in our cultural context, is born out of a deep identity crisis in which we live. We live in an identity crisis that is producing these complications as we begin down this path. The identity crisis is not one that is exclusive to our cultural context. This is one that permeates all of humanity. And the identity crisis that we find ourselves in humanity is what drives this. And what is this identity crisis? It is the fact that we, you and I, as human beings, believe wholeheartedly that we will find our value, our significance, the fact that we matter in some circumstantial, relational, or resource reality. In other words, when we have the right circumstances, uh, we, have, we are living the right life with the right set of things we're part of, or we have the right relational dynamics, or we have the right resources, then we will matter, then we're significant, and then we're important. And so we wholeheartedly believe that, and so we chase after as much as we can, trying to figure out uh, what the right circumstances, relationships, and resources are that will cause our culture to tell us we matter. And so as we enter into the cultural context we live in, we look to the culture and say, well, you tell me what's important to you so I can go and get those things so I can be important to you. And that's how we live. And as we do this, there is this great chasm that develops between all of us, isn't there? Because we begin to, if any one of us gets something that the other one doesn't have, then we begin to feel this inequality. And so inequality is constantly permeating everything. And so anything we step into, anything we celebrate, only, only demonstrates our inequality and creates pain. So what is the cultural solution to this? What does the culture say we must do to equalize the playing field and to keep us all where we need to be? So here's what our culture's done. Our culture said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Anytime we celebrate anything, we must celebrate everything. Because that way, nobody's left out. So anytime we celebrate anything, we must figure out a way to celebrate everything. To try to equalize, we do that, and all we end up doing is minimizing. Have you noticed lately? that your child will now graduate with a cap and gown and a full four-hour graduation ceremony that you will pay great deals of money for the after party for with the invitations you need to send out from preschool, then kindergarten, then elementary school, <laughs> then high school, then college, then master's degree, then doctorate degree, and then we'll make up parties after that. <laughs> you better save up for that. It's going to be very expensive. You see, we celebrate everything so that when we celebrate anything, nobody's left out. Or, or if that doesn't work, and in some contexts it doesn't, then we conclude the second solution from our culture is this. Just celebrate nothing, and then nobody's left out. So we either celebrate everything when we celebrate anything or we celebrate nothing at all. That way nobody's not celebrated. And so we find ourselves in these crazy conversations, even in the church context, when we come to days like this where we go, should we do anything? Because if we do anything, we hurt some. And if we don't do anything, we hurt others. But if we just leave it quiet, then maybe no one will know. And we'll just breeze on through and everyone will be happy. This is how our culture solves problems. 
but we are not informed by our culture, are we? No, we enter into the incredible revelation of God and the wondrous story of the gospel, and we ask ourselves, well, hold on, how does the gospel inform this complicated reality of our identity crisis, and how does it present solutions to our inability to be able to celebrate anything because it's always complicated? What does the gospel really say? And I will tell you, if we dig into the gospel, which we are about to do, the gospel presents a solution to this dilemma that is utterly different from anything our culture says, and not only utterly different, but extraordinarily beautiful and freeing simultaneously. That's what the gospel does. The gospel comes to this dilemma and says, oh, watch to see how I solve this. What is this gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus? What does it tell us? What is the story of God that he's revealed to us that we call the gospel? What is its message? Well, the gospel is very simple in many ways. The gospel reveals to us in our very beginning how this all started. The gospel tells us that we were created into extraordinary purpose and wonderful significance. The gospel reminds us that when our creator decided to make us, he made us to be able to function in life in total freedom. He made us to know him completely and totally, to live essentially full of God. To live in such fullness of Him, such intimacy with Him, that we would know His freedom, know His life, know His light so perfectly that we would be living in Him, through Him, by Him, freely. That was how we were created in the Garden of Eden. But not only that, God actually created us not only to know Him to that extent and live that freely, but also chose in our significance and our purpose and our value to say, not only will you know me and find full satisfaction in that, being content, but you will also now express the realities of that intimacy, that freedom, out to one another and to all creation, and in so doing, you will image me as well. You will actually make me known. This was the beauty of our beginning. To know God and to make Him known. It wasn't a work. It wasn't a task. It was us. It was what we were made for. And so we lived in that wondrous scenario. And the gospel tells us that the enemy of God came to us and said, listen, that sounds like a neat story, but it's not the neatest of the stories. The reason God does not want you to eat of the forbidden fruit is not because he wants you to be safe. Oh, no, no. It's because he is scared that if you eat of the fruit, you will know what he knows. And if you know what he knows, you won't need him anymore. And you will be able to write your own story and, and, and mark your own destiny and, and be your own God. And you're missing out on that because you're believing him. You'll die if you eat it. What a joke. And so we bought in and we ate of the forbidden fruit. God had said we would die if we did. We did not discover divinity, you know this, we discovered death. Death came into our souls and we were lost to the intimacy of God and therefore the freedom that we had in our contentment and we were lost to the ability to image God because we had no freedom to image. We had lost ourselves to life and light and freedom. And so our pursuit began as human beings. Our identity crisis was born. So what do we pursue? We pursue constantly any version of control we can. We try to control everything about our world, you and I. Whether it's a little world or a big one, we try to control it. Why? Because if we can control it, then we know what its future is, and then we can be uh, free of anxiety, and then, and then we'll be free. Or if we are not working on controlling something, we are working on trying to matter somewhere. 
we are taking on anything we can that would say we matter so that we are pursuing things that others say matter so we will matter because we gotta matter because we don't feel like we matter anymore. You and I are on an unrelenting pursuit to control and to be significant. Control and significance, this is what we want. And here's the deal. Solomon says we are like children chasing after the wind because control is not something we will ever have and the things we think make us matter don't actually make us matter in the first place. So there's our lot in life. There's our identity crisis. That's the games we play and that's how our culture tries to manage us to feel equal so that we don't kill each other. And the gospel goes on beyond that. It says, yes, that was your lot in life, but God, because of his great love for us, did not abandon us to that life, but from the very beginning of us abandoning him, he pursued us with a story that was bigger than this story. We were writing a story of death, and his story was a story of life. And that story culminated in him coming to our planet in the person of Jesus Christ to live redemptively, to die on our behalf, the death we deserved, and to rise from the dead for us. And in doing that, he established the means by which we were once again rescued. Jesus came to rescue our soul from its pursuit of insanity so that we would once again know that we were safe in him. He came to redeem our future so that our anxieties about what might be could be set to rest so we'd stop pursuing control because we know our destinies are good. And He restored our God-given purpose that in the intimacy of a rescued soul and a redeemed future, we would be able once again to find freedom, life, and light and live out of that so that we would express it to the world. And so we found ourselves back in the created purpose to which we were called. And in that, the slow process of the invitation of the gospel to lay down those things we thought would make us valuable and remember what we now have. Paul concludes after encountering the gospel where this leads us in a verse in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Just listen to it. I'm just going to read a single quick verse. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Listen to these words. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, the, the pursuit of Paul is gone and Christ is now in him. Listen to this. And the life I now live in the flesh, this one I'm living on this planet, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul's conclusion of the beautiful invitation of the gospel that we no longer have to live in the insanity of our identity crisis because we now know once again who we are and why we matter. Luke writes in the book of Acts to Theophilus uh, in Acts chapter 17, listen to this. Acts chapter 17, verse 23, he writes these words, I mean verse 28, I'm sorry. For in him we now live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. Does that sound like the created reality we were created in, in paradise? To live in the intimacies with God to such an extent that we literally live in him, through him, by him, for him? Yes, So we are back, folks, to the freedoms that we lost that caused us to pursue the things that caused our identity crisis, that caused our complications. 
We are back. Paul expands on this idea in the book of Philippians. I want to read this passage to you. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be, starting in verse 4. If you have a smart device or your Bible, Philippians 3 verse 4. If you have one of the Bibles, we provide page 637. 637 is where we're going to be. Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. Paul is writing a paragraph here to describe the realities of what it now means that we have been rescued back into Christ and how that informs the resumes that we carry around with us to try to matter. And look what he says. Verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. So we know where he's starting. He's going to say, I'm, a, I'm about to tell you why I could carry my resume around and that could make me significant. Look here. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh... I have more. That's pretty, that's pretty bold to say, right? Paul's saying if you have a great resume in your cultural context, if you've got the circumstances, relationships, and resources that your cultural context says matters, and you have the resume to prove it, my resume's better. That's what Paul's saying. In my cultural context, there was no box I hadn't checked. No part that means anything to anyone that I hadn't fulfilled. Look, he's going to go through it now. You won't necessarily understand all the reasons why this matters unless you understand his context well, but I can guarantee you this is an incredible resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow blameless. He goes, look, when it came to the law and getting things right, I was Paul, blameless. I checked every box rightly. So you couldn't compete with me. I had it all. And then he writes these words, but, oh, there it is, but, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. This is what Paul writes. Man, I was looking at that passage, looking at the gospel and forming the lives we live and, and the constant pursuit we even here in the church context are trying to step into. And I was asking myself, God, what, what is it that you're trying to throw at us here? What is it we do that we can learn from here? And suddenly this book came to mind. This book I loved when I was growing up. All of you probably know it too. You remember the book Green Eggs and Ham? Dr. Seuss book. See, isn't it crazy that we're sitting in this space and I say that title and you're already running the story through in your head, aren't you? You're running it. It's right there. Uh, you, you know all the little things that where, where he could eat green eggs and ham. There was a character in the book that I, I absolutely just love. Uh, just an irritating, horrid little character that turns out to be quite cool by the end, right? Do you remember this guy? Uh, Sam I Am. That was his name. Sam I Am. Sam I Am. The book starts that way. Sam, I am. I am Sam. Sam, I am. You like green eggs and ham? Right? So there it is. Now here's what I loved about little Sam, I am. If you notice when you go and look at the book, that little Sam, I am, wherever he entered the pages of this book, he not only verbalized who he was, Sam, I am, but he was carrying with him something. You remember this? He was carrying with him a little billboard. It was a little board he held on to, and it was right above his head. And it, the words written on the billboard were very simple. Sam, I am. There they were. So just in case, for some reason, the verbalization of my name was not clear, I will carry this billboard with me so you will never forget who I am. Sam, I am. 
Sam I am. If you just look at me, you'll know, here I am, Sam I am. And it dawned on me. That is exactly what we do every day, you and I. Every day, you and I run around, and before we get out of our beds and enter our day, we go pick up our billboards, the ones that matter, you know, and we raise them up, and we run around trying to make sure as much as possible that these billboards that we walk around with, that these billboards are saying what they need to say, that they are important, that they matter. We do this, so we run around, and we say, rich I am, woo-hoo-hoo, there we are. Smart I am, we say that one, we run around with that one. Sometimes we might do mom I am, or married I am. Sometimes we might do generous I am, or philanthropist I am, right? The billboard will depend on the culture you're in. If you're in the culture in which we live, we're in a consumer culture, right? So our consumer culture tells us that whatever you produce, that matters, and whatever you consume, that matters, so you only matter if you produce and consume. So we run around in our workplaces and our stuff, and we say, look, boss I am, boss I am. Money maker I am, business starter I am, middle management moving into upper I am. You see, we're constantly running around with a billboard showing that we're producing something. We're producing something, but producing is never enough in a consumer culture. You must also consume, so what do we do? We have billboards like this, big house I am. (laughs) In the right neighborhood I am. Driving the right car I am. Wearing the right clothes I am. And we have our little billboards because our culture has told us, if you have these things, you matter. And boy, don't you want to matter? Yes, you do. So do I. We are bent on mattering because if you don't matter, that's a terrible place to be. Then we get into the church culture. We might become Christ followers. Billboards have to change, folks. (laughs) They got to change. In fact, some of the good billboards from before are now bad billboards. So you go try to figure those, lay those down. And we, we move into relational billboards. Those are more fun. We move into generous billboards. So now, generous I am, leader I am, or we might say in our world, you know, married I am. So single I am, not as cool a billboard inside this space, right? Right? That's how we feel, isn't it? So we start switching the billboards around. And the billboards that don't fit into our cultural context, we minimize those in our life. And if we made a mess of things... If we made a mess of things, broke I am, bankrupt I am, divorced I am, hurt I am, we hide those because those aren't good, right? That's how we feel at least. And so what begins to happen is we become obsessed with our billboards where little Sam I am's running around trying to hold the right ones up. And the problem with that is that this creates an incredible dilemma for us because we find our contentment either in the billboards that we have and we find this fullness in them or we long for the billboards others have that we don't yet have because they seem to be content and our culture told us those are good ones. And so we constantly do that and here's what we long for. We hold our billboards up so that we will be celebrated because every one of you wants to be celebrated. I do too. Now, we can't say that in church because that would be pride I am and that's a bad billboard. So we want to be humble I am. And so we say, I don't need to be celebrated. No, I don't. You just want to be celebrated for celebrating others. There you go. See? So we all ultimately want people to think we matter and that's called celebration. And then we struggle deeply to celebrate anyone that has a billboard we don't. Right? Now, if we have the same billboard, oh, we can celebrate them all day long. 
because we also have that billboard. But if they have it and we don't, that's painful. And so we go, oh, I will pretend to celebrate you because I do want to be celebrating others I am, but I don't really like it. And we find ourselves in this place where the culture is trying to fix us by equalizing the playing field, but it's never equalized because we are always looking at the rest of the world going, what do I have that they don't? <laughs> and what do they have that I don't? Ah. And so is created our identity crisis. And what does the gospel do? It comes to us and it says, shh, listen. I never made you to matter because of a billboard you hold up that has to do with the circumstances of your life, the relationships of your life, or the resources of your life. I never made you for that. I made you for a job far bigger than that. See, we, we think in our culture, we try to figure out what the best job is to have, right? What's the most important job in the world, right? And if you say that and you want to be smart and you're in this cultural context in the church, you'd say something like being a parent. Mm, that's a good one. Woo, you're awesome. Being, being a good spouse. Oh, rock solid. Being a great leader in the church. Being philanthropic. Oh, Oh, good. If you're out there in the other culture, you might change those a little bit, right? But here's what God says. The most important job is not to be a mom or a dad or a CEO or a good worker or a good leader or a good, or a, or a good team player or a good friend. Those aren't the most important jobs in the world. There's only one most important job in the world, the one you were created for, the one I was created for, and that is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's your job. That's mine too. We all have the same job. If we know Jesus, we all have the same job. It is totally equalized. Your job, make Christ known through your life story. My job, make Christ known through my life story. That's it. That's my job. So all the other little billboards are all part of my job that I do, which is to be an ambassador of Christ. You see, what the gospel invites you and I to do is to, th to do this, to take all the billboards we have spent our lives unrelentingly trying to hold up or hide and set them all on the table and go into a space where we pick up the one billboard that actually matters, that is actually true, that actually tells us who we are, and that's this one. Ready? In Christ I am. In Christ I am. You want to know who I am? In Christ I am. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live and breathe and find my being in Him. I count all things I used to hold up as billboards as nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of in Christ I am. And so we run around with our billboards and when we raise that one to the heights and we say, in Christ I am, that's what informs me. Suddenly it has equalized the entire playing field. And now all the other billboards begin to matter. Poor I am, could you make Christ known through that? Yeah. Man, that's an awesome story. You could make Christ known through that. How about rich I am? Yeah. You could make Christ known through that one too. That's an awesome story too. How about married I am? Yes, you could make Christ known through that one. That's a great story to do that. How about single I am? Yes, that's an awesome story. You could make Christ known through that one very well. That's a cool one. How about, how about broken I am? Yes, oh yes, you could make Christ known through that one too. See, pick the billboard. I don't really care, pick it. You can be an ambassador of Christ in any circumstance, in any relational dynamic, in any resource reality, if your billboard says, in Christ I am, and that's what I do. You see, God's gift to us folks are not the little billboards we have. 
God's gift to you is not that you're married or single. God's gift to you is not that you're mom or not mom. God's gift to you is not that you're rich or poor. God's gift to you is not that you have a body that works perfectly or one that doesn't work at all. Those are not God's gifts to you. They are parts that God has given to your story and God's gift to you is your story. God's gift to you is your story and your story is different than my story and my story is different than yours. Mine is unique. Yours is unique. Mine is the collision of thousands and thousands of realities throughout a lifetime from the parents I had to the siblings I had to the hurts I had to the fun I had to the joys I had to the confidence I developed to the, to the things I learned to know to the, to the, to the experiences I experienced to the, 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 the books I read. It's a collision of all of it. It's a collision of the the, the Wi-Fi matter, it's the collision of a thousand other things. And you don't have those things like I do. You have a different set. They may like look similar to mine, but they're going to be different. And your story is a unique collision of your stuff. And here's the promise of God. The story I started in you, I will finish in you, and I will make it awesome. Oh, but God, my story is a giant mess. I know. You are a messy kid. <laughs> but I clean up beautifully the messes that you make. See, God's promise to us is that our story will be redemptive as we chase after his wondrous love for us. So your gift, my gift is God's story for us. And when we know that, when it is in Christ I am, then suddenly we are free, aren't we? Free to do what? Well, we're free to celebrate our story. We certainly are. Not because of any one thing we have or don't have, but because he is writing a great story in us. And we're free, wait for it, to celebrate other stories, aren't we? Because we don't have to have their stories to be happy or to matter anymore. Mom, I am is not a story that is any less or more significant than mom, I'm not. They're both beautiful stories that God is writing. And either billboard that you hold matters. Either billboard, if you are in Christ, I am. So how do we do this? How do we walk out of here and say, I don't want to be exhaustedly chasing more billboards. How do I stick to this plan? Here it is, ready? It's actually quite simple. Scripture's very simple. It's not complicated. The author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus all the time. Fix your eyes on Jesus all the time, the author and perfecter of your faith so that you will not grow weary and tired and lose heart. There it is, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. We don't do this well in our culture. We're so busy managing our billboards, we don't have time to fix our eyes on Jesus, which means we forget to pick up the only billboard that matters, that measures all the others, and we become informed by our billboards instead of the one identity given to us to set us free. And so I would tell you, do you want to know why it matters to go fix your eyes on Jesus every day? It matters because Jesus said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that I have set you free. You want to be free? Then fix your eyes on me and remember that you are in me. That's the second piece of this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And then second piece, work at in Christ I am. There it is. I mean, go home, make a little billboard, stick it on cardboard, walk around your house, every mirror. In Christ I am. In the mornings, pick it up. In Christ I am. Dare to go to work. Dare to go to work. In Christ I am. Dare to go to your social networks. Dare to go to your school. Just walk around. Little billboard. In Christ I am. I'm super weird, but it's super cool. (laughs) 
figure out how you can work at in Christ I am and what is in Christ I am. Here it is. It's a simple word we all know well, intimacy. Work at intimacy. Folks, you hear me say this all the time from this stage. Let not your work be a work of righteousness or a work of generosity or a work of leadership or a work of some way to make yourself good and better. Let your work be a work of intimacy because righteousness and leadership and generosity and every other good thing you will ever need to or want to work at will be born out of intimacy in Christ. If in Christ I am is your billboard every day, I promise you those things will be born out of you. Why? Because the scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He does not say the fruit you need to bring to the Spirit to be okay is. He never said that. He said the fruit of the Spirit is, and when you are intimate with the Spirit, full of the Spirit, then those will be your fruit too. Our work is a work of intimacy. Fix your eyes on Jesus every day. Man, find ways be in the word, remind yourself of the gospel, then work at in Christ I am. Whenever your brain tells you something else is going on, you just set those things down and go, hold, hold, in Christ I am. Let's start there. I belong to him first. And then you work at intimacy through the disciplines of the faith. And then what? When you're done fixing your eyes and working at intimacy daily, 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 hour by hour, minute by minute, then celebrate the story that's unfolding in you today. Stop being so crazy about the ones you want or the one you hate. We don't love all the parts of our story. I get it. But celebrate the story you have. God is not sitting up in heaven going, oh gosh, I had such a great story for them, but they're just totally blowing it. I can't do it anymore. No, he's not doing that. He is authoring through your mess and your insanity and my mess and my insanity, his beautiful story. Can you not find awe in that? What you think you want and you don't have as part of the story God is unfolding for you. Start celebrating your story. Stop wishing for someone else's. And then, dare I say, start celebrating the stories around you. Stop avoiding spaces where stories are celebrated that you don't like because you don't have. Step into them. Mother's Day is a great example. For those struggling with Mother's Day here, I know there are many, and many aren't even here because they avoid these spaces, and I get it. How about we start defying the enemy's information on who we should be and what makes us special and we walk into those spaces and go, watch me celebrate somebody else that has what I don't. Watch me do it. And when it hurts, here's what I'm gonna do about it. I'm gonna be reminded in that pain that your information about my identity is not true and I'm gonna stand there and say, in Christ I am and in Christ they are and I celebrate God's story in them because that gives us freedom to start realizing that what matters is that we're in Christ together. So today we get to say to our moms, happy Mother's Day. We celebrate you. That comes with some pain for some of us, but it doesn't matter because today we get to celebrate your story and God's story he's authoring through you being a mom. And for those of us that don't have that billboard, we get to step in in defiance to the enemy and say, in Christ I am, leave me alone. I celebrate the moms and love them, even though they have a billboard I used to long for. I am free in Christ now. And so I can celebrate me and I can celebrate them. So, happy Mother's Day, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to those that are moms and to those that are not. Thank God we're in Christ, amen? Thank God we're in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love for us. 
the extraordinary story you've gifted each and every one of us with, different as it may be from everybody else's. Remind us, God, that what makes us valuable and significant is not the story we have, but the fact that you're authoring it. The fact that we're found in you and that you are authoring it, and that makes us special. So God, whatever our story may be, remind us not to pick up the billboards that go with that story and make them our significance, but help us only to see them as tools by which we can do the greatest job on earth, which is to be an ambassador for you. So whatever our billboard may be, we want to serve you, glorify you, and make you known through it. Help us do that. Thanks for our moms in this room. Thanks for our moms in our lives. Thanks for the realities that they've poured into us. And God, for those of us that had challenging moms, thank you that despite their lack, you will author our story well. Gosh, Lord, you're awesome. Thanks for all that you're doing in us. Bless our moms this day and help us all to celebrate our story so that mom I'm not or mom I am is irrelevant anymore. What's relevant is that today in Christ I am. And so as a mom, I'm an ambassador of Christ. As a person who's not a mom, I'm an ambassador of Christ. And in that, I find my joy and my freedom. God, we love you. We thank you for your solutions to our crises and how much freedom and life they bring whenever we step into them. We love you, Jesus. Amen.